So we're 10-ish days into the greatest two weeks that happens every four years that is the Olympics. And I guess technically it's every two years, but when it's the Winter Olympics, you know it's every four years. And I am fascinated by the Olympics. Winter, summer, all these things. I've got a jar that I'm starting for the 2028 Olympics to go out to L.A. and experience the Summer Olympics when they're in L.A., and, and, and so one of the things that I've been wrestling with is what is so fascinating to me about the Olympics? And for many people, it's, it's, seeing, it's seeing people that, that can do incredible things. And then there's this whole other category of like, yeah, I could probably do that. Yeah, I could probably do that. I mean, skeleton, not a chance. Luge, not a chance. Figure skating, not, not a chance. Uh, but we know that curling is one of those things that you're like, yeah, I could totally do that. Somebody texts me and they're like, yeah, I think, I think you could be on the U.S. curling team. I mean, look at those guys. And I'm like, I'm not sure how to take that. <laughs> you don't look like a biathlete or a cross-country skier, but you could probably curl. The fascinating thing about curling, though, is it looks so simple, and yet it's so complex. And Sean Olson, not uh, any relation to Mary-Kate or Ashley, uh, is from Fargo-Moorhead, and he joined the U.S. curling team recently. Can we just talk about, you're not from Fargo-Moorhead. You're either from Fargo or you're from Moorhead. Two different states, two different cities. You don't live in both, okay? Uh, anyway, so Sean Olson was, was hired on to the U.S. curling team as the ice specialist. Because the curling ice is far, far more complex than anyone realizes. Because the curling ice is actually uh, pebbled. There's a surface to it. Because if there wasn't a surface to it, if you were to try to throw a curling stone uh, on like a figure skating rink, it wouldn't slide. Because a figure skating rink, super smooth, friction creates the inability for the stone to slide. And so Sean's whole job is to create the perfect curling ice. And why is it the perfect curling ice? Because there's a consistent curl to the stone. You're like, I don't care. And yesterday morning, I woke up knowing that the U.S. men had played Norway at 12.05 in the morning, and I was like, I cannot wait to watch the replay, and nobody spoil it. The other night, Maddie's like, oh yeah, this person already won gold. I'm like, no! Don't tell me these things! When you look at a game like curling, it's far more complex than a few average people chucking rocks down a sheet of ice, and it starts with the complexity of the ice. We got some work to do, though. U.S. men are struggling. You know, there, there are people. Schwartz is from Chisholm, still lives in Chisholm. There are people, and we should care about them. You're like, still don't care. Still don't care. Maybe you will. I'll pray for you. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, understand, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 
So we enter into this new chapter, except it's not really a new thought process. And and we've talked about this before, and we'll continue to talk about it. Uh, So often when we look at our Bible, the, the chapter breaks and the headings create a challenge for us. And we think we're starting into this whole new process. And yet this process, this thought has been being developed by the writer of Hebrews throughout the last chapter and we know from last week that this, th- this conversation about faith and the importance of faith is not just beginning in chapter 11. Now we're going to go on this multi-week journey through the, the, the hall of faith, as many people call it, in chapter 11. And what's fascinating uh, to, to us as we read it is we're going to go on this little tour day of the Old Testament, and we're going to get some, some people that are held up as champions of the faith, and if we know our Old Testament, we're going to say, ah, excuse me, (laughs) who's creating this list? I think if the writer of Hebrews was in charge of the Baseball Hall of Fame, we would see Roger Clemens in there, we would see Barry Bonds, Pete Rose definitely would have made it. Some of these folks that we're going to talk about aren't exactly the most exemplar individuals in their Old Testament stories. And yet, the writer of Hebrews seems to think that they embodied something that we should be paying attention to. So if at any point in the next few weeks we we think, this is an interesting selection, you're not alone. One of the things that we talk about, though, when we talk about faith is where we have gone wrong. And we know that faith is not certainty because by definition, if we are certain of something, then we are 100% sure that that thing either has happened or will happen in the future. And faith is believing that something will happen without certainty. Certainty eliminates faith. Certainty creates a complete level of understanding. And Greg Boyd, in his book, Benefit of the Doubt, he talks about how we have been led astray into this concept of understanding-seeking faith, not faith-seeking understanding, but we've put the understanding in front of faith, and we have ruined or damaged what faith looks like. And for many of us, we've ran into this challenge of, we, you just have to believe. Don't ask questions. Don't don't challenge this. Doubt is a sin. You don't don't challenge what's what's being discussed because you don't know as much as that person. And, And so we've been led to believe that faith is the lack of doubt and that we cannot express questions within the body of Christ, because then we somehow are lacking in faith. And at the worst, we've been told that we haven't received something, i.e. something we've been praying about, because we don't have enough faith. And and if that is something that has been heard in your ears, I'm really sorry. Because it's so damaging to believe that that God is doing something because we are, in essence, insufficient. 
Our insufficiency is the foundation upon which Christianity exists. We are not God, (laughs) therefore we need God to come and to provide us with salvation. We want the questions to be wrestled with. And we want the questions to be wrestled with within the confines of the church. Because questions are like cash in the pocket of a teenager. They're going to end up someplace. (laughs) Sometimes it's in the wash and then it's in my pocket. (laughs) When we have questions about who God is or how he functions or questions about scripture, those questions aren't going to go away. And with the glorious advent of Google, oftentimes we take our most heartfelt questions into the Googleverse. And we get a plethora of answers, and many of them are so out there. We're like, well, then I don't even know what to believe. And we read in Hebrews that that faith is, in this translation, the assurance, as in it's certainty, but it's not certainty. And so for us, when we have questions about faith, about Scripture, about how God functions, we need to bring them into the safe confines of this space within the body. Because when we take them outside of the body, we get all sorts of wild answers. And many of those answers lead us down a pathway where we start to question things that we've never questioned before because we are getting information from sources that don't care about our wholeness and our health. And so I want us to grant each other permission to ask questions about who God is and how he functions, to ask questions about the text, about Scripture, in a way that, that provides us with deeper and greater understanding. Adam Grant, in his book, Think Again, talks about the joy of being wrong. And for many of us, we're like, no, no. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to admit I'm wrong. But think about that. When we acknowledge at one point we are wrong and we move to right understanding, we have moved from error into correction, and that's wonderful. That's where we want to be. And unfortunately, we have demonize doubt to the point where people don't feel as though they can ask questions for fear of shaming. We ask questions in good faith, not to be contrarian, but to grow together. As many of you know, I like to backcountry ski, and one of the great things about backcountry skiing is backcountry safety. And last year in the Teton Search and Rescue um, weekend summit, one of the presenters was talking about when, when you are entering into avalanche country, everyone in the group is given permission to veto the line that you're going to ski. Because so often we buy into this group think where if I don't feel comfortable with this line that we're going to ski, but eight other people do, then I shouldn't speak up. In actuality, your safety depends on speaking up when you feel like something isn't safe. And then the group can talk about it. 
And in the same way, as we experience this thing called faith in Jesus Christ and we wrestle with Scripture, we do it within the community so that we can grow and learn and understand and help each other. We are all tethered together as the body of Christ, and if one of us falls down, we are all experiencing the weight of that person. And for far too long, when somebody stumbles into questioning or doubt, we cut them free so that we aren't bogged down to the detriment of that person. And so as we, we read a verse like this, and, and we come to this ill-conceived conclusion that faith is certainty, and if you don't have certainty, you don't have faith, we really miss out on the complexity that is this life in Christ. Because the writer says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things that are not seen. How can we have certainty about something that we cannot see? And so there has to be this level of faith that draws us forward. A.J. Swoboda in his book, After Doubt, that we just started for small group, talks about faith being the engine that moves us forward. And we really need to go back into chapter 10 because the writer sets this up in this conversation about faith. And the writer in verse 37 quotes the book of Habakkuk and says, For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. This is the Habakkuk piece. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he he or she shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in them. But... You know, this big distinction. You ever find yourself having a conversation with somebody? Like, I I really love all these things about you, but (laughs) you just negated everything you just said. So oftentimes we need to replace the but with an and. It's far more inviting. In this case, there's this clear delineation. We, those who are in Christ, are not of those who shrink back, and are destroyed. Who are we? We are those who have faith and preserve their souls. Faith is this gift that God gives us, this engine that runs within the follower of Jesus Christ that continues to propel us forward towards this end, not seeing, we don't have the clarity to see, but faith provides us with that clarity. It was fun. I was just talking to to some folks uh, who live out in western Minnesota and and talking about the visibility thing. You ever find yourself in a place where you're driving and you can't see the road? You're like, I think it's here someplace. (laughs) And then you're in the ditch, and then a 16-year-old kid has to pull you out. Hypothetically speaking, if your name was Derek Bruns. This word faith is about a legal context of legal guarantee of a future possession. Dorothy Betts says faith is not synonymous with certainty, 
but a decision to keep our eyes open. And again, Greg Boyd in, in this book, Benefit of the Doubt, talks about different translation issues with this verse. And he says, unfortunately, by identifying a feeling of confidence as the essence of faith, rather than the substance that gives confidence, these translations reinforce a certainty-seeking model of faith that we've seen in unbiblical, that we've seen is unbiblical, and it leads us leads to so many unfortunate consequences. It is unbiblical that leads to so many unfortunate consequences. It is through faith that we are propelled toward Jesus Christ. We don't see Jesus. We cannot see him because we did not live when he did. And yet those that lived while he lived, we know that their faith at times wavered. We get the great doubting Thomas. Jesus comes back and he's resurrected and, and Thomas is like, I don't believe it. And the fascinating thing about how God functions is he doesn't just immediately provide proof for his unbelief, but he allows Thomas to sit in that speculative place where I want to believe, but I'm not sure if I do believe. And so we sit and we kind of marinate in this place of tension so that our trust actually grows. Our trust in who God is grows. As one of the commentators says, faith is hope in a future reality that has not yet been realized. And I know we can, we can experience the swing of this pendulum of we just full belief. I don't need any proof. I don't, I just, I'm just blind belief. And then we move over here to this rigid certainty of proving everything and I don't I I I don't have I don't need faith because I just I'm gonna prove everything rationalism the enlightenment all these things and along those polar opposites when the pendulum swings the reality as often is the case exists somewhere in the middle it's understanding yes rational thinking is a good thing and faith that doesn't have understanding but seeks understanding is a good thing. Because we can't see these things. And the writer of Hebrews is not trying to provide us with this clear-cut definition of faith, but is trying to let us see how faith is lived out. That's why we're going to talk through all of these people. And then the writer goes a little bit further and says, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The people of old, those coming before Christ, are granted salvation in Christ because of the faith that they had not ever seeing or knowing Christ in the present. It's this belief in the future. It's this belief that, that what is going to happen is going to happen, that, that God 
keeps his promises. And we walk down this journey of faith, and, and Robert Keegan says this. There's these three stages of faith. There's confirmation, there's contradiction, and there's continuity. Confirmation is the faith handed to us by a community, a church, family, even a culture. Continuity is following Jesus as an adult. I think that the way to move from inherited faith to accepted faith is to surround ourselves with people who keep us going. That is the church. You know, to have childlike faith, we often think is just blind acceptance, but if you know a kid, especially a younger kid, all they do is ask, why? We're going to go do this. Why? You need to go to bed. Why? You need to do this. Why? 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 What if that was childlike faith? Where we went to God with all of our questions and we said, but why, God? Why is this happening? Why are you doing this? Because I said so. <laughs> yes. I'm the parent. I own this house. And if you want to live here, no. Maybe I've practiced. But the reality is, so often we inherit faith in a way that is like, well, you just believe this because this is what I've always believed, and then we bump into something that we don't believe or that challenges our faith, and we can either reject our faith altogether or we can press in further to understanding our faith. And where do we do it? We do it within a community. And we do it within others who have walked before us, the people of old, it doesn't say old people. It says the people of old. And yet, how often do we favor youth as a cultural reality? We favor new and fresh, and, and everything's got to be recent and hip now with it and wow. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, let's not look to the present. Let's look to the past to understand what faith looks like. And then we get this concrete example. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. God creating, God breathing forth creation, and he's making things that are visible out of things that are invisible. And we could get into a whole deep philosophical question and understanding about God being a necessary being, and, and, and you're like... I care less about that than I care about Olympic curling. <laughs> we weren't there when creation happened. And yes, we can get a deeper understanding of how the created order works through, through technology and the advancement of science, and those are all good things because as we know more about that, we get a better understanding of who God is. And this faith that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is not anti-intellectual. It is dynamic, not static. When you think about anything that requires us to exercise faith in our lives, and we exercise faith all the time, we cannot live without exercising faith. I mean, not one of you today thought, I'm not sure if this chair is going to hold me. 
Every time we, we do something, we are exercising faith, and that's why it makes it slightly exciting. <laughs> you know, like that moment in the movie where the person is being chased, and they're on the rooftop, and they're like, I don't know if I can make it. i got to jump. And you're like, oh, suspense. That's where certainty gets us so far, and then faith propels us beyond that. So as we continue to walk through this multifaceted look about how faith is lived out through the people of God, I invite us. I invite us on this journey to ask questions, to explore, to live in the freedom that God provides for us when we are in relationship with Jesus Christ, to come to him with questions, knowing that we trust that what he says is going to happen. It's just in the middle, we're like, help me understand God. Faith is not the absence of understanding. Faith and understanding go together to create this mystery called life in Jesus Christ that we are all invited to participate in together. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning in faith, acknowledging that we desire certainty and yet it can be elusive Acknowledging that you more than likely have created this for us to keep propelling us forward to engage deeper in our relationship with you. We anchor our hope in the truth of your word. Knowing that you are not only bigger than our questions, but you are in our questions, and you desire our questions as we seek to grow in our understanding of you, not as an intellectual pursuit, but as faith formation in our lives as we desire to be shaped and formed into your disciples living a cruciform life. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to please stand.